Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is Abby Martin. This is the audio version of each episode of the Empire Files hosted on Telesaur English. You can watch every episode at theempirefiles.tv. I will be the nominee for my party, Chris. That, that, is, that is already done, in effect. There is no way that uh, I won't be. You said earlier tonight about Donald Trump, this is a man who does not have the demeanor, does not have the policy background, or the ideas to become the president of the United but, States. So absolutely. staying in this race, aren't you effectively making it harder for the Democrats to beat the man who you say would be so bad. She gave him Oregon, conceded that to him. He won. He doesn't make up a lot of ground in the delegates, but man, he's not going away. No, I think he's, and it's now really becoming a problem for the party itself. Uh, Sally, I'm going to begin you. with you because I know that you've been an, an avid Bernie Sanders supporter since the beginning, but we've now got a grandmother who is worried about her five-year-old grandchild. Uh, we've got a woman who says her marriage might be on the brink because of Bernie Sanders supporters. We have a U.S. senator who just said on live national television that she feared for her life at a Democratic convention. Where is this going, Sally? And I dropped out uh, at the end of our primary in uh, 2008. I immediately urged all of my supporters to support uh, then-Senator Obama. Uh, the way that uh, you dealt with the situation in 2008, do you think he'll do the same? Well, I would certainly hope so, because the most important goal of this uh, uh, primary process is nominating a Democratic uh, candidate who will defeat the Republicans in the general election. Pressure for Bernie Sanders to drop out of the race and rally his supporters to Hillary is pouring out of the Hillary campaign in corporate media. In her own words, on the basis that the most important task is defeating Donald Trump. But inconvenient new polls show Trump beating Hillary for the first time in a general election. And the same polls that show Hillary losing to Trump have Sanders crushing him, sometimes by over 10 points. Despite their own logic of choosing the best candidate to beat Trump, the Democratic Party elites won't even consider offending Wall Street by backing Sanders. The empire's rigged system makes it nearly impossible for someone to break through the two-party dictatorship. But Sanders isn't the first candidate in recent years to show that it is possible. Shama Sawant is an immigrant from India who just won re-election as an open socialist to Seattle's city council. She's now leading the call for Bernie to run independently if he doesn't get the nomination. On the cusp of the convention, I wanted to sit down with Shama to talk to her about building mass movements and why she says American workers and women should oppose Hillary, no matter what. So how did growing up in India's caste system help you awaken to politics and also understand American society? The experience of looking at the devastation and misery that people live in because of the caste system, the social divide, but also looking at the connection between caste and class really made me think. And, you know, it often the magnitude of the problems in countries like India makes people feel demoralized and, you know, it makes people feel like, okay, I don't even want to think about it, but it had the opposite effect on me. I really thought about it all the time. And to me, the question was, well, clearly the human society has advanced enough to make amazing technological advances. Surely we can figure out how to end poverty. And so that to me, that meant that these problems are not written into the DNA of human society. It really is a question of a system that we are living in. And then all the dots were connected in a full manner when I came to the US and realized, oh, this is the wealthiest country in the history of humanity. And yet you have poverty 
the same kinds of problems, homelessness, even lack of basic services like mass transit and clean water in so many cities like in Flint. And to, to us, that should mean, you know, logically, that should imply that these are systemic problems. And Shama, you were the first socialist to win a citywide election in Seattle since 1916. What do you think your enormous support, as well as the Bernie Sanders movement, signifies in a country that pretty much has had its unofficial religion be anti-communism for decades. We have an entire new generation in America that did not grow up in the Cold War era, but on top of that is living the fruits of what capitalism really brings, which is even though the labor movements fought for a sliver of benefits to the working class, those uh, those real, you know, those substantial gains are now disappearing, and the younger generation today in America is going to be the first one that's worse off than its parents' generation. People are starting to wonder, what is the system offering me? You know, I, I was told to put my head down, work hard, do everything correctly, and I would get my little piece of the American dream, correct? Well, no, wrong. You don't get your piece of the American dream. Those who get all the lion's share of the wealth are those who own trillions of dollars, you know, many of them stashed away in Panama and other offshore heavens like we saw. And so what we are seeing through our victories in, by Socialist Alternative in 2013 and 2015, getting reelected as an open socialist in defiance of the Democratic Party in Seattle, really showed that there's a huge openness for independent left politics. And when we won, many people said, well, that's Seattle, you know, Seattle is unique. Well, we said, no, that's all, all across America. And Bernie's message of a political revolution as an open socialist has resonated in the heartland of America. He has shown that all of America is really awakening. Consciousness has moved so forward. You know, people are itching for a fight back against the domination of corporations and Wall Street. You've been a leader in the fight for 15, which is the nationwide movement mobilization of low-wage workers to demand $15 an hour living wage. There's two sides to this issue, of course. Uh, the fear-mongering about how the economy is going to collapse. <laughs> Businesses are going to shut down. Jobs are going to disappear. Then there's the other side that points out people cannot live for less than $15 an hour. Can you debunk this opposition argument and explain why this is such an important issue? Yeah, like you said, Abby, there was uh, everything from small problems to all the way to the apocalypse of Seattle if we pass $15 an hour. And of course, as you said, there's no basis in reality to this. And we, we carried out uh, a, a lot of messaging and you know, communication to workers themselves who are worried because they were hearing these stories, false stories. And we said, look, economists have studied this for decades all across the country. Every minimum wage increase has been studied by the labor economists at UC Berkeley in a meta study of 1,500 different studies, and it shows that there's no statistical significant impact on employment. You know, there's no joblessness, there's no shutting down of businesses or anything. And we explain that if small businesses struggle under capitalism, and they do, it's not because workers are being overpaid. Actually, workers are getting poverty wages. The reason small businesses struggle under capitalism is because this is not a system for the mom and pop store. This is a system that favors behemoths like Amazon and Walmart and Microsoft and Google. It is not for your neighborhood coffee shop. And really, your neighborhood business will do better if the workers around them have a little bit of extra discretionary income. But you know, I followed all of these arguments up by also talking about a more fundamental issue, which is this, is that hypothetically, just think for a moment, if it was indeed true that this economy was about to crumble, if the poverty-stricken workers were lifted up just a little bit, then what on earth are we defending? You know, if that was indeed true, 
then this economy is completely indefensible and we should not be wasting a breath on this and we should be talking about something different. And let's talk about big businesses fighting tooth and nail because I know even in Seattle when, when that monumental measure was passed, the Restaurant Association, I mean all of these lobbying groups really fought to force this capitulation of the measure that, you know, talk about the challenges that you've faced within the system. Yeah, absolutely. The Restaurant Association, the Hotel Association, and many other big businesses really went to war. I mean, that's not the story they'll tell you because now it's passed and now they want the narrative. I mean, a very completely false narrative. And the mayor of Seattle is going around offering this false narrative that somehow, you know, good sense prevailed. We all want the same things. Big business and labor came together and we carved out a sensible compromise to avoid class warfare. Well, the narrative is wrong and the logic is also completely turned on its head according to big business and their corporate you know, political representatives. In reality, let's step back. Capitalism is class warfare against the vast majority of human beings who go to work every day, break their backs working to make profits for the big business owners and get very little to show in return. But also what we saw through the experience of the struggle of 15 was that you know, many people started out thinking, well, you know, we're not asking for much. So I think big, big business would accept it. You know, we're not asking for a lavish wage, it's just 15. But the experience of struggle, like the struggle for $15 an hour, teaches us, you know, teaches us as part of our movement that it's not, doesn't work that way. The reason big business will fight, even if, when you're asking for something very small, is because they understand, as should we, that if we get the experience of winning our political demand, as small as it is, the experience of winning empowers us to keep going forward. You have to win by the fact that you build your forces and you change the balance of forces, which is what we did. Big business fought, but we changed that balance of force by the force of our movement, by the fact that by the end of the day, 80% of Seattle was saying, yes, we absolutely want 15 and you better pass it. You know, of course, it's changed the national conversation so much that even Hillary Clinton has said that she supports the fight for yes. 15. Does she? <laughs> you know, uh, she, well, you know, she has, uh, you know, the hashtag witch Hillary because she's been very, uh, like a chameleon, like, you know, like she, uh, every, every time she sees the momentum towards a particular political demand, she'll say, yeah, actually I'm on that side. You know, she started out her career by being a fierce advocate for devastating trade deals like NAFTA. And now she's like, I'm rethinking TPP. You know, I, maybe we need, to, we need to be careful about what we pass. The same with 15. All along, she has gone around saying, no, you know, $12 an hour is the right wage. And, you know, states can do their own thing. But because 15 has caught the imagination of America, you know, working people all across America are saying, yes, we want 15. And so now Hillary's back is against the wall. She's trying to get the support of her base, of the Democratic Party base, not her base, but really Bernie's base. And she's trying to say, well, I supported 15 all along. At the New York State debate, I was watching this live, this debate live. She had the nerve to lie through her teeth and said, I always supported the fight for 15 in Seattle. And I, and I, it made me sit up and said, wait a minute, I was there. <laughs> this did not happen. We cannot allow our movement to be held hostage year after year by corporate politicians who will lie to, you know, on anything in order to win their elections, but whose track record shows that in, in terms of Hillary, for example, her track record shows that she's not going to fight for 15, 
But more to the point, she's not going to fight for 12 either. That a corporate politician like Hillary Clinton is not going to fight or lead on any of these issues for social and economic and you know change for the better. She sat on the board of Walmart for six years. Walmart is the world's biggest purveyor of low wage and poverty wage jobs for women and people of color. She does not wear the mantle of fighting for the working class. As a progressive woman, what's your response to Hillary Clinton using her gender as the basis of why progressives should vote for her? You know, we have to be clear. The attacks that any woman in public service like Hillary Clinton faces on the basis of her gender, we should condemn them unreservedly. Attacks based on misogyny and sexism have no place in our, in our vision for a future society. But we have to understand that if we want to go towards a society that has wiped out all these oppressions, then we have to see who's our friend and who's our foe. We cannot have trust in Hillary because she's a woman. Her identity as a woman is not the point we should be thinking about. Her track record as having fought on the side of Wall Street, you know, being a real dogged uh, sp spokesperson for Wall Street, for corporate interests, for big oil, for fracking interests, that's the point because though that it's that it's that uh, you know framework that allows for um, the gender pay gap to perpetuate. You know, we should have ended the gender pay gap by now, but now it's really wide. And if you look at the situations that women face in the workplace in terms of sexual harassment and other in the, you know, intimidation and discrimination, what do you need to fight against it? You need strong unions. Women need an organized mechanism to fight against these problems that they face in their workplace, including the fact that they are not paid fair wages. But in order to do that, you need fighting movements and fighting unions. And everything that Hillary stands for is contrary to building that kind of movement. People And look at Bernie. He's running uh, an insurgent campaign, taking no cash from corporations. We need candidates who will turn away from corporations in a very courageous and open and unambiguous manner and say, I am fighting for working pe people. Because when you're fighting for working people, you're fighting for women. Yeah, I think it's about 60% of registered voters do not identify with the two main parties, which is Absolutely. a huge uh, yeah. And in fact, a really good poll came out a few days ago which said that 65% of likely voters are open to a candidate other, other than Trump and Clinton. And this is more important, 91% of those aged under 28 would like to see an independent candidate running against Clinton and Trump. So, so the divide is not between working people and the desire for socialist-like uh, change like towards socialism. The polarization is between the vast number of working people and the establishment, which is completely out of touch. It is so out of touch that this year we are seeing a circus, a presidential election circus, where the least popular presidential candidate from a major party in the last 10 presidential cycles is running against the second least popular presidential candidate from a major party in the last 10 presidential cycles. That should tell us something. That should tell us that we need to occupy that vacuum. A lot of people don't know that you're an economist and you've used the term economic terrorism to describe what's happening to the global economy. Who are the economic terrorists and what are their crimes? So in 2013, just when we had, we had just won our election, our first election as a socialist candidate, at the, at the same time, what happened was, you know, this was Seattle, so in, in the state of Washington, the Washington State Legislature, which 
has been for years criminally underfunding public schools, has uh, carried out deep cuts in mental and social health services, and really just you know caused quite a bit of devastation. And this is on a bipartisan basis in the state legislature. The governor of Washington, Jay Inslee, who is a Democrat, he called a special session of the legislature in, in November of 2013. This was just after I was elected. In order to not carry out urgent funding of public education or social services, this was a special session to give $9 billion away to Boeing executives. This was the biggest corporate handout in the history of the United States. This was absolutely criminal. And this was done with the statement that, well, you know, Boeing has threatened to take away jobs from Washington. What can we do? You know, the legislature has no choice. We have to give them $9 billion. That is when I first said that this kind of blackmail where a corporation, and these are not, and we're not holding the workers in this in the corporations responsible. In fact, the workers are losing out year after year in terms of their pension benefits. In fact, at the same time that Boeing took nine billion dollars, they cut pension benefits to their own workers, but they threatened to take away jobs. You know, and and I'll, and, and then there's a punchline to that as well. But at that time, we said that if a corporation like Boeing, meaning its executives, are going to hold our entire stage hostage year after year. This is nothing less than economic terrorism, and we have to fight against it. And do you know what? Just a month ago, Boeing announced that they're going to lay off another 8,000 jobs this year. So the point being, and, and, and again, you know, I can speak as an economist here, is that the, the way this, uh, the global system of capitalism works is that as long as the capitalist class has the opportunity to produce their products and make profits by giving a lower wage to another section of the global workforce, they will move jobs. As long as they can, they will do it. And so for decades, what we're seeing is under capitalism, a systematic and worldwide race to the bottom for workers, while more and more and more unimaginable trillions of dollars flowing into the coffers of the top 0.01%. We should absolutely fight against the moving of jobs overseas, but we have to have an internationalist argument against it, not a nationalist argument, because we can't be against the, the right of uh, Indian workers, for example, to have jobs. What we should be against is the pillaging of the global economy by the elite. And we all, all working people everywhere deserve living stand, decent living standards. But the only way to achieve that is to fight against, as you said, the economic terrorism of big corporations. And it's incredible that the politics of fear is what maintains this economic terrorism, just like it maintains the two-party dictatorship. Right. You've endorsed Bernie Sanders, but you're also circulating a petition right now calling on him to run as a third-party candidate if he doesn't win the nomination. You write, uh, you're fighting to win, we support you. If billionaire interests block you from winning the Democratic nomination, we urge you to continue the political revolution by running independently of the Democratic Party rather than endorse Hillary Clinton. Of course, you're also calling him to choose to run independent or join Jill Stein on the Green Party ticket. Why do you argue that these are the only options for the success of the movement? At every step of the way, the Democratic Party establishment has tried to marginalize Bernie Sanders. The media, uh, media establishment went from uh, you know, giving him a total blackout, not writing about him at all, to 
really going on an assault on him like in the, like they did in New York State before the New York primary. So, and we can see the Democratic Party establishment going to every length possible to make sure that he does not win in any way uh, a position that would make him a contender for the Democratic Party nomination. And it's not just this election cycle, though. The reason Socialist Alternative urged him to run as independent is because decades of evidence shows that while there are real differences between the Democrats and the Republicans, overall, the impact of having two parties that are bought out by Wall Street implies that Wall Street has two parties, but there are no, there's no political representation for working people. If you look at even questions like marriage equality, where people are, you know, it might be tempting for people to think, well, there is a real difference between Republicans and Democrats. Yes, there is. You know, the, the, the bigoted version of, you know, rejection of the gay community comes from uh, sections of the Republic, Republican Party. But at the same time, the Democratic Party establishment in no way led on the question of marriage equality or gay rights in general. And not only that, until five years ago, Hillary Clinton could not bring herself to say positive things about marriage equality because what happens is that when you're beholden to an establishment and the status quo, you will always choose your words and your actions based on political calculations as to which side your bread is buttered as far as the corporations are concerned. And we cannot have a movement which comes to a standstill every time there's a presidential election year. You know, it makes no logical sense to say, yes, I agree with the idea of a political revolution, but for now, this year, can we hunker down and support a Hillary Clinton who is the complete epitome of everything that has failed in our economy. And in fact, what shows in the last five decades is that there has been a rightward shift by both the Republicans and the Democrats. So that is why, logically speaking, if we, if we want to fight Donald Trump, then it doesn't make sense to support a corporate candidate like Hillary Clinton because that only that whole process only perpetuates that shift to the right. And we have to keep building our movement away from the life, uh, right to the left. And if we are to do that, then it's antagonistic to our movement to support Hillary Clinton in any in any manner. If if Bernie Sanders was to run with Jill Stein on the Green Party ticket, it would be nothing short of a political earthquake. They would have helped begin a groundswell of support, not just for themselves as independent candidates, but for the idea of an independent party for the 99%, which is what we really need. If he does endorse her, which he said that he would already, what is your advice to his supporters who know that they can't morally vote for someone like Hillary Clinton? I mean, she's arguably the most right-wing, neoconservative, hawkish, democratic candidate we've seen. For somebody who wants to help build a movement, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's mistaken completely to then say that, okay, now I'm asking you to support a, a candidate who is who stands for everything that you hate, which is why you supported me. You know what, what, I, you know what I'm saying? So for people who are supporting Bernie, it makes no sense for them to support Clinton because the reason they're supporting Bernie is because they don't like Hillary. This is not about Bernie Sanders. Ultimately, this is about building our movement for social change. But let's be clear, fighting for every single reform will, as we were discussing earlier, Abby, will be a fight you know, a real fight against big business because big business will not relent. We will have to wrest these gains from the hands of big business. And what, what that does 
is the experience of fighting for reforms really starts to clarify in people's minds that this is what we are up against. We are up against a system that denies us basic living standards and will always do so unless we fight for a fundamental shift. Thank you for listening to the Empire Files podcast. If you want to subscribe to our mailing list, please sign up at TheEmpireFiles.tv. We want this show to be a resource for those fighting against empire both here and abroad. Let us know what you think on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Empire Files and Facebook at The Empire Files.